The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 104. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the first season Discovery episode, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. Howdy, Dom, though I think this should be titles to make the sanest man go mad. At least the first <laughs> yes. season of Discovery was. <laughs> so, folks, please share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community of listeners and to reach more folks. Uh, the more people that listen, the better the show becomes. It's true. You you know it. So uh, this episode is... Uh, uh, well, before we get to the episode, I actually have a, a one one side note I want to share with you. Something interesting. And it's Me because, too. Because this is a Discovery episode, this is relevant. So there's a new service out there called IQ, and it's an app plus a device that they send you for at-home vision testing, which these days is actually appropriate for many of us because we can't go to the doctor. So it's a, it's, it, it does a vision test, and that's not what, it's not really important how it does it. But one of the things I discovered is, is the error message in the app is, I swear, it's the same person who does the, the voice of the computer on Discovery. So oh. for a while there, I was just making errors on it just to hear it. Like, yeah, that's really the computer discovery. I just thought it was hysterical. So <laughs> I, 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 I actually had to send a support message to them. But I did ask, is, is this really the same person? So hopefully they'll respond with that. So, Jimmy, cool. what's your what's your note? Oh, I was just going to say welcome to the second beginning of a relationship time travel space whale episode we're yeah. recording today. <laughs> yes, we, we just finished recording uh, a Secrets of Doctor Who episode where the Doctor in is on a first journey with someone. They traveled through time to get to a space whale. So very weird how this happens, but it just, just ra- randomly occurred coincidence. So uh, as we were saying, this is a Harry Mudd Returns. This is the second Yay. episode where uh, Rain Wilson returns as Harry Mudd. And I would have to say the best Harry Mudd. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my uh, estimation. The best uh, full one. I like the sipping jippers short thing. Yep. <laughs> right, right, right. So, uh, Father Corey, you mentioned the title. Uh, this episode's title is taken from Homer's Iliad, a book 14, line 217, for those of you keeping track. It refers to Aphrodite's sash or girdle, which was a love charm which the goddess gives to Hera in order to beguile Zeus. So keep that in mind mm. as we try to figure out what that has to do with this episode. Um, yeah, and I understand Father's comment about, you know, titles to make the sanest man go mad, but hey, <laughs> I mean, the lamb cares not for the butcher's madness. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which I think is the longest title. So this is a bottle episode. We've discussed those before, which is the only bottle episode of the season. It breaks from the season-long story arc, uh, takes a break from that, and it, it's all self-contained. 
uh, apparently they wanted to save some money on budget, although that space whale had to be a costly CGI effect, but uh, apparently they saved some money by doing that. And uh, I think this strongly resembles Next Gen's Clues episode, which also features a time loop where the Enterprise is in a time loop and only Data notices mm-hmm. and has to try to get everybody else to notice it too to break free of it. So I thought that was interesting. It also uh, mirrors the Stargate SG-1 episode, Window of Opportunity, right? where there is a time loop and things start to get a little crazy in some of them. And we have a first kiss between two characters precisely because it's a time loop. Yep. Right. That's true. True. Yeah. Although one thing thing I do like about this is because the time loop is being controlled by Harry Mudd, they change every loop. It's not it's not like like the clues episode where right. it's only when they start wrecking it, you know, getting the deja vu that it starts changing. It's every time loop is just a little bit different as Harry Mudd is you know poking around the ship and trying to figure everything out. Right. He's iterating and learning so that he can uh you know do what he's trying to do, do do the heist. Um I I on the Stargate one, mm-hmm. I still gonna say O'Neill uh, shooting golf balls through the Stargate is the yeah. one of the best oh, yeah. moments in the That's entire awesome. series. And he gets mad because he because he gets criticized for it on it on my backswing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I love Someday how we'll- Jack, Jack O'Neill learns Latin because <laughs> yes. he's so yeah. bored and needs to translate something. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, uh, well, someday we're we're definitely going to do Secrets of Stargate. That, that's uh, I, it's my on my bucket list. Anyway, uh, let's go back to Star Trek here. Uh, Burnham, it starts with Burnham having a personal log. Uh, she's settled into her routine as a specialist on board. Discovery has become vital to the Federation winning the war. Uh, Stamets' personality has completely changed, and now he's kind of goofy. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and in fact, the tide, of the, the tide of the war has turned. Yes. Mm. Be- so they're because, winning now. Yes, because they're now able to do these jumps controlled by Stamets. Um and because it's her diary, I, you know, I, I like Tyler. <laughs> it's yeah. Kind of like, yeah. Like it's kind of funny. So there's a party. And it's just an interesting, uh, you know, new thing that we have here. Which, like, it was sort of a, a party. Some of the crew members are throwing. There's music. There's party games. There's drinking. It's very it's different. It's like a rave. Kind yeah. Of. yeah. It's like a, a college party. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's young people, you know, hanging out, socializing. Um, Michael is very socially awkward. Young military people. It's not yes. like it's not like stodgy Starfleet officers getting together for a you know cocktail party or recital with a chamber <laughs> orchestra or something. This is like this is like a bunch of college people hanging out, getting drunk, and listening to right. loud music. Yes, the music from the twentieth, twentieth, and twenty first century. In know. fact, Tilly is obviously drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Michael, meanwhile, is very socially awkward here. She's has a is we very clearly she's not used to socializing people. So this shows her Vulcan upbringing. We do see an interesting. Uh, Tyler gets up and makes a speech. We do see a handicapped officer at the party, a guy in a chair, and he, he's pointed out as someone who's made a sacrifice. So he's apparently a wounded, wounded war veteran uh, here. So it's, I thought it was interesting. We'll end up seeing this same uh, character in the background as an extra in several more episodes. So Tyler and Burnham, Tilly's trying to connect them up. Uh, Tyler and Burnham get called away uh, just in time from Burnham's point of view. Uh, they get called to the bridge. They run into Stamets and Hugh Culber in the corridor and knock a bunch of stuff over. Yes, yep. no, uh, right. 
Uh, Stamets is very like, don't worry about it. He's very hippie, uh, laid back about things now. He is high as a kite and <laughs> yeah, exactly. on spores and like hugs Burnham and and <laughs> yes. and is totally clueless about certain social things and is like asking about the romantic relationship between Michael and Ash and yeah. and Hugh is like, shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, apologizing for him. And it's clear that Ash likes making Michael uncomfortable by calling attention to her inexperience with dating. It's just he's very amused by this and, and has and having some fun with this. So they get to the bridge and it turns out they found a Gormagander, which is the mm -hmm. space whale that survives by consuming particles of the alpha, wind, uh, alpha of the solar wind. I, I like how they do. So they say it, it survives by eating uh, alpha particles. Mm -hmm. And that's a real thing. An alpha particle is the nucleus of a helium atom. So it's got two protons and two neutrons. It is what causes alpha radiation. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it, and it makes sense that a kind of that a space <laughs> whale would eat something like alpha particles because they are abundant in space. They are a principal component of solar wind and whales are frequently filter feeders. Mm -hmm. like eating krill that just floats by. And so eating alpha particles is kind of a neat outer space equivalent of that. We're also told that apparently gormaganders are half panda because they're very <laughs> uninterested in reproductive behavior. Yes. And, they, and they're dying out, so they are a conserved species. If you find one that's having a problem, you got to move it to a special habitat, according right. to regulations. Something, though, had to either – something had to change, though, because you can't have a species evolve that's uninterested in reproductive behavior. Something has to change in its environment or its genetics that makes its population diminish due to lack of reproduction. In right. the case of pandas, we've whacked back on their environment, and so they – that's why. They don't why get it's, to eat. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> well, and, but it's got to be either that or a fatal mutation that would be causing them to decline. I, I like the way they expressed it, though, is they basically, they get so caught up in eating that they forget about the reproductive <laughs> urge, you know? So, I mean, whether, yes. whether it's just, you know, they're, they're, they're so single-minded, you know, they're so single-minded. Yeah. That happens to humans sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some guys in their basement watching Star Trek who are like, oh, I can, I can sympathize. <laughs> There's one thing here, though, I, I like, though, that they try, to, uh, they, they try to answer the immediate objection. Well, why didn't we hear about this in the original series? They said there's only been 57 encounters with Federation ships in the last 10 years. Right. So this is not a common thing. So it's possible the Enterprise with Kirk never ran into one. So that's why you didn't right. hear about it. Or maybe so, there wasn't an interesting story. Or maybe it's just a big galaxy, guys. Yeah, well, exactly. Here's, here's the problem with spacefaring creatures like this. Unless they are warp capable somehow, natively, like biologically, they're going to be stuck in one solar system. So, Ooh, unless they're starseeds. Starseeds are a creature that's space-dwelling in Larry Niven's known space series that migrate from the galactic core to the galactic rim and back over tens of thousands of years. Mm. Okay. And when they're in a solar system, they unfold this huge solar sail to get a push from the solar wind, and then they crumple it up and become like a little ball while they're going between systems. And he's thought out their biology and their life cycle in some detail, and it, and it does work, but it does take tens of thousands of years for their yeah. migration. Right. 
Yeah, it, it, for the for the period of time in which Star Trek occurs, even across several centuries, they would all be located pretty much yeah. in one space. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, so yes, the protocol says they have to transport it to a xenological facility. So uh, Burnham oversees tr- the transport to the shuttle bay that the, they're going to put it in. I um, like how when they beam it in, it like wilts under the gravity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which I would think a space rain creature would gravity would be bad. So <laughs> that that they would have it in in, in a like a low grav field or something. Eh, whatever. That's fine. So uh, they're scanning it. Something's weird about it. Harry Mud walks out of the mouth of the creature. No. Ant-Man walks <laughs> yeah. out of it and starts <laughs> killing people. It's an Andorian helmet. Did, did you catch that? It's mm-hmm. got the antenna, mm-hmm. for an Andorian yeah. antenna. So, yeah, but it, yes. it looks like Ant-Man. Right, right. And he starts shooting everyone. And they, he, they follow him into a, into a corridor and they trap him there. And he starts monologuing about being left behind in prison and how it robbed him of his dear sweet Stella, which is a throwback to the original series, the only woman he's ever loved. And I'm going to kill you, Lorca, as many times as possible. Yes. And he destroys the ship, and it comes back in the next loop. And when the loop starts all over again, we're in loop two now. We're in back at the party. Yes. And the music has changed. They mm-hmm. are now playing the song after we just saw this the ship explode and everybody die. The music at the party is now the Bee Gees staying well, alive. No, actually, the song is, it's a... It's a sample of Staying Alive as part of a Wycliffe Jean song called We Are Trying to Stay Alive. So, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> even which better, samples. Even better, yeah. we come back on the <laughs> prominent refrain, Staying Alive. Yes, yes. Uh, that was very uh, clear. Uh, uh, that was put in by Alex Kurtzman. That was a decision by him to put that song specifically in there. So that was yep. uh, on purpose. So the uh, this time they don't run into Stamets and Culber in the corridor. But as as uh, Tyler and uh, Burnham are getting into the lift, he, he comes running up and says that they're in a time loop. And this time, Tyler goes with Burnham to the shuttle bay for the transport because there was some clues. But he Stamets, who is not his peaceful hippie self this time, he's alarmed. Yeah. And he comes mm-hmm. up and he tells them that something's happening and why can't anybody else feel it? And they're dismissing him. And he says, it all starts with a gormagander. Right. And Gormaganders are apparently rare. They're so rare, Tyler doesn't know what they are. Right. And so we get to the bridge, and oh, there's a Gormagander. And immediately, Ash and Burnham take Stamets' message seriously, and it's like, we should steer clear of this thing. Right. But it, yeah. but Saru pops up with, actually, regulations require us to move it to this special preserve. Which is exactly why Harry Mudd is using it as a Trojan horse. Exactly. Trojan Gormagander. Yeah. (laughs) But we have more changes now because now, as you say, Dom, Ash insists on going to the the shuttle bay with Burnham, which he did not the first time. And Mm -hmm. Lorca's like, I don't care. Just get it taken care of. (laughs) I I still don't care. (laughs) I I, I love how they both justify, and Burnham is like, as the science person, I should go oversee this. I don't care. I just want it done. Uh, as a security guy, I should go with her. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I still don't care. So uh, they're down there, and uh, Tyler's got his uh, hand on his phaser, and this time Mud doesn't walk out of the Gormagander. He beamed out from the creature directly into engineering. So they go to engineering where someone has activated the spore drive. Yeah, and and Burnham detects that he beamed out. She says she detected an energy signature Almost like a tractor beam. And it's like, come on, you know you want to say 
some kind of tractor beam. Yeah, some kind of transformer. <laughs> some kind of, yep. yes. I think they've been watching those YouTube videos like we like we have about Voyager. So uh, he's got the, the spore drive running uh, down in engineering, but he doesn't understand how it works, how to make it go. He's not sure what the spores are for. And so before everything can go boom, because uh, he's got it, you know, he's, I'm going to make it all explode if you don't tell me, Stamets shows up and shoots him. And, uh, and Stamets says, you know, we've been through the loop multiple times. He's, in, um, he's been unable to find a way to win, and he's going to keep doing this. And they're like, uh, boom is going to happen in a minute. And he's like, yeah, whatever, we'll be back. Yeah, <laughs> so see you again explode. soon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really dark in in a, in a sense. So well, yeah, they it's come, one, it's it is one thing that this is you don't see every loop where right, it's yeah. like we like the second loop you see it, it you know it sounds like they've been through it already a few times and we find out later that it's been something like fifty or sixty times they go through this loop before yeah in, it's in, like Groundhog conclusion Day. in in loop three so we've just seen loop two in our viewers loop three it's going to be established this has happened at least fifty three times before yep. right. It's like Groundhog Day, where Bill Murray's character, you know, we don't see all the loops, but he's suddenly an expert at at uh, piano, you know, that sort of stuff. So this time, uh, Lorica is on his way to sick bay. He's been called to sick bay uh, uh, on a false pretense by uh, Mud, and he's intercepted by Mud, and um, and and that's where we have the, uh, this loop goes. Stamets convinces Michael, meanwhile, that they're looping, and he's the only one who knows. And he says, in order for me to convince you quicker next time you need to tell me a secret that would immediately convince you that i i'm telling the truth and after she whispers it he says oh i'm sorry yeah and it's he's, he says tell me something that you've never admitted to anyone or never told anyone before and she whispers it's like i'm sorry yeah. so it's nice it's effectively done we don't know what it is but we know it's sad right we also in this loop so after mud has gotten has gotten Lorca, Lorca yeah. alone. He takes him to, I like he later refers to it as your captain's secret man cave. Yeah, <laughs> yes. he's, he's got all the weapons that from you know that he's been studying, and Lorca initially does not think that Mud will kill him, but Mud assures him that he will. And to prove it to the viewer, we get a montage <laughs> yes. of, of multiple previous loops where Mud has killed him in all kinds of different ways, including beaming him into space yes. where he disappears from the bridge and appears out in space and we see him start to convulse from the explosive decompression <laughs> it's and, really dark <laughs> and he's, he says i've killed you 53 times so far and it never gets old <laughs> yes <laughs> and uh yeah um i was gonna say about that there, there is a thing uh, rain wilson throughout this episode he lobs these like n these nickname insults at people he calls uh yeah. saru stretch and like he apparently, lanky. yeah, lanky. He apparently like ad lived a lot of these. These weren't in the script. He just like ad lived these insults at everyone, which is great. That's one of Rain Wilson's great uh, in, abilities. In in Loop Five, when one of the guys who doesn't seem to have a name on the bridge in the first season gets <laughs> yes. up and challenges him, he refers to him as Random Communications Officer Man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> So then we have this uh, back at the party in the next loop, uh, this scene. Where I said this scene that isn't believable where Burnham failed to talk to Tyler about mud because she was so nervous, you know, because uh, she likes him. Like, like they have this moment where she could tell him about the thing and she fails. And well, I'm like, I just don't believe that. I, I 
I thought I thought about it, and I thought it was a little more believable. So in loop four, we're back at the party. Stamets, before anything else can happen, Stamets runs up to Burnham and says, you've never been in love. Yes. And that gets her attention. That's the secret. That's the secret. And he is able to use that to convince her that we're in a time loop. But if someone ran up to you and admitted one of your darkest secrets to you and said, we're in a time loop and that's the prover, that would be really rattling, especially (laughs) if it's something on par with you've never been in love. Right. And so she's really rattled. And she's also socially awkward. And I can see how a real... And she's trying to talk to Ash, to to Tyler, to get information about what happened when you were with Harry Mudd on the Klingon ship. Is there anything that could help us in this situation? But because she doesn't have a prover for Ash Tyler, he's not... He thinks she's pranking him. Right. And she's blowing it. She's too businesslike. She's not being sensitive to what it would need emotionally to convince him that this is true. And she's like lunging at the prize and pushing the prize away in the process. So okay. I didn't have as much of a problem because she's rattled and socially awkward and overly intellectual and too goal focused. All of that's Michael Burnham. I can believe her blowing it in her first attempt to get the information out in uh in the limited 30 minute time window we've got i guess although they so what we do spend the rest of this time loop uh with stamets and and uh, burnham dancing in the corridor talking about <laughs> it and he te- and he and him telling her how he and you got together and all this other stuff and how so really basically giving her like couple therapy that's going to be pointless because she's not going to remember any of it so why are we doing this well, to be to be fair, I, I, one, I think what they think they eventually did is kind of the deja vu thing where they start to remember they sped up the time loops where people yeah. were getting on board a little bit quicker. So it, it's yeah. almost like there was kind of that deja vu. Wait a minute. There's something about this seems really familiar. I think we better pay attention to it. Right. We do get a moment where uh, Tyler at the party in one of the loops says, uh, if time really is repeating, then this won't matter and kisses her. And uh, which when I thought to myself, well, it will matter if this is the last loop when you get out of it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I thought the same thing. To to go back to the dancing with Stamets, though, he he says the reason is so I know what I'm working with, because he's realized her approach was too intellectual and focused and not emotionally convincing. Right. So he and they're at a party. And dancing is something you do at a party. So he wants to use this in the future, but he needs to know how she reacts to dancing. So that's why he dances with her. And it's and it's a standard ballroom type dance. I mean, they're not right. doing the hustle here. Right. <laughs> uh, which would have been appropriate for staying alive. But yes. it's a standard ballroom. They're in swing position and they're he's leading her. And it's like, will you let me lead? Right. <laughs> because that's traditionally the person doing the man's role leads and apparently because they're dropping out information that we've already seen as we go through the loop so they don't get boring apparently i would assume in loop five when he runs up to her and says you've never been in love we're in a time loop go dance with this guy and try to ask him gently about this right Mm -hmm. they we don't see that but we can assume that that's what he says to her right so we, we find out that Mud is using a time crystal, which is something that comes up in season two when yep. they go to the uh, Vulcan monastery. Uh, and he's, he's using this and has apparently used it 
this is where uh, Ash's knowledge of Mud from the Klingon ship comes in handy because uh, Mud apparently has used this before in other heists. He's, he, this is a pattern for him where he yeah. does time loops in order to learn about how to break into a place. They said a beta beta Z bank, and ah. so he he had to. You, you can imagine how many times he had to go through the loop to to break rob the bank. That. Yes. Yeah, he's, and I like some of the security features they described the Betazoid Bank as having volatile encryption. Yep. Which sounds really cool. Molecular locks, DNA coding, and he memorized all of its security routines over time. And we see that acted out, uh, part of that acted out as it's being described to us because we yeah. see Harry Mudd lurking around corridors and narrowly avoiding people like he knows this person is going to show up at this time so i need to duck back at this moment and then right. it's safe for me to go on yeah so uh mud shows up on the bridge and beams Lorca to the brig then monologues about finding weaponized dark matter also burnham says that the time crystal tech nobody's been able to crack that Yes. No one's been able to make it work in a stable, dependable way. So it must have been a four-dimensional race that right. perfected this technology. And we don't learn anything more mm. about them. But she says it must have been a four-dimensional race, meaning a fourth physical dimension, I guess, because we're all four-dimensional in that we experience time. <laughs> right. <laughs> that perfected the tech, and he apparently stole it from them. In other words, the Time Lords. <laughs> yes, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> it's a vortex manipulator. It's even strapped to his wrist. Yeah, exactly. that's right. <laughs> that's right. He is he is essentially a, a, a Captain Jack Harkness. So uh, so he beams Lorca to the brig and and then uh, talks about this weaponized dark matter, which is rumored to be the worst way of dying in space, as opposed to dying on a planet. But okay, never mind. So and to prove his point, he kills Tyler with it. You know, in this awful way that where he dissolves, yeah. except for his head, uh, which and then, also dissolves eventually, but last. Yes, yes. And uh, and the what these look like the dark weaponized dark matter, even though dark in this context really means invisible, not dark colored. Right. It it they look like marbles. They look like big purple glowing mm -hmm. marbles, and so right. that's pretty cool. And you throw one at somebody, and the dark matter eats them up from the inside. Why it doesn't eat your fingers first, I don't know. Right, right, exactly. Uh, so uh, Stamets surrenders himself to, to as the as the key that uh, Mud has been looking for all along. So, and then while he's uh, with Stamets, Burnham takes Tully to the Gormagander and uh, to find out what's you know what's really going on. They they find the uh, his Mud's shuttle inside the Gormagander, which is making it sick. And uh, so then Burnham goes to Mud in the captain's ready room where where Mud is hanging out because he, his his uh, aim we we should uh, say here is to take control of the ship and then sell it to the Klingons and yep. to make a big money because the Klingons would if they have if the Klingons get the ship not only do they stop the Federation from using it against them they all now have the technology and and do to the Federation what what what's been done to them even though Mud is a human he's totally okay with the Federation losing yeah. right. Well, and it's been revealed that the Klingons know about Discovery. They know that Discovery is their secret weapon, and they want to get a hold of it. So what perfect right. opportunity does Mud need then to do this? Yep. So Burnham goes to Mud, who's in the Lorca's ready room, and she brings up Stella, which made me wonder, how does she know about Stella in this loop? Presumably, in all of his monologuing, Stamets has heard about Stella, and he told Burnham. Okay. 
Also, I, I like how the computer is now referring to him as Captain Mud. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and that it re- responds to his hand motions to do things. Like, he doesn't even have to tell it to beam someone somewhere. He just waves at them, and they beam away, presumably, to a pre-programmed <laughs> place. I don't know. Yeah. But she tells Mud that... Oh, he's, she- he says where they're going and then waves his hand. Oh, right, So it's right, like, right. to the brig, whoosh. <laughs> Which I think would be actually a cool uh, upgrade to the system. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she tells him that she's worth more to the Klingons than Discovery is because she killed Takuvma uh, and, you know, and started the Battle of the Binary Stars. Yeah, not sure that. I mean, that's big. They'll pay a lot for her, but I don't know that. Worth more? That it's more than the Discovery. Yeah. But uh, then she swallows one of the dark matter uh, capsules in order to get him to reset the timeline one more time, which is a huge gamble. He might just say, Oh, I'm just going to cut my losses. Why do I have to go through another timeline and steal the ship again? I'll just... Because she knows he's greedy, and this is <laughs> yeah. more money. It, it's still a big gamble, but yeah. So this time, when he gets to the bridge, uh, you know, after taking the ship on the, on the last loop here, uh, spoilers, it's the last loop, uh, they're ready for him. And uh, visually, we see at the party, we see them talking, but we don't hear any of the dialogue. So this right. all plays out. They're obviously talking about the plan. Yes. But we don't know what the plan is. So it gets to unfold in front of us in real time. And so when he gets to the bridge, Lorca makes a deal. He surrenders the ship. And he says, I- I'll give you the ship in exchange for the, the, the safety of the crew. Don't hurt anybody else uh, or Burnham or Stamets because he's got to have both of them. And he says, because I won't have another Baran, which was his previous command. Yeah. So before that, after they talk about the plan, but we don't hear it at the party, we see Ash come up to the bridge and we see Ash, with Lorca's permission, start fooling with the captain's chair. Yeah. Reprogramming it somehow. And so then when Mud storms up onto the bridge, the tables have been turned on him. Yes. And Lorca says, I'll give you the ship. I'll give you the ship. I'll give you Burnham. I'll give you Stamets. Uh, and he's like, don't con a con man. Yeah, I'm right. not. I'm negotiating with a businessman. I don't want to. An- Why would you do this? I don't want another Baran because he lost his previous ship. Everybody died. He right. says, just as long as you'll spare the crew. Yeah. I'll give you these three things. And and then and and he sticks his hand out like, do we have a deal? And I'm like. Harry Mudd, do not be a fool. Do not shake his hand. <laughs> he's got something. Clearly, you've, you're already suspicious that he's trying to con you. Now he sticks his hand out. Yes. It's like, thank you. Uh, we have a deal, maybe, provisionally, and I'm not shaking your hand. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but he, he does, does shake his hand, yeah. and that has nothing to do with the plot. Right. Right. So what, what they're trying to do is buy time for the time. Apparently, if the time loop... Uh, if they go past the 30-minute time loop, they're done. They cannot keep looping, apparently. So uh, once the time loop runs out, the crystal in the and the whole bracelet, the uh, vortex manipulator on his, on his arm, dissolves. It just it goes away. Yep. So it's a one-time, you know, once the loop is done, it's, it, it, it's broken. And so he takes uh, Tyler and Stamets and Burnham to the transporter room to meet the Klingons, because he signaled the Klingons using the captain's uh, chair communicator. And so they're on their way there to greet the Klingons who are about to board the ship. And on the way, Stamets starts confronting Mud with the truth about Stella. Stella's not your long lost love. You abandoned Stella, that she was, uh, you know, she. And uh, yeah, her father is sca- a weapons merchant. He shouldn't have been hard to find. 
If you right. wanted to find him, you could have. You're not, you're not, she's not lost. You're running from her. Right. Uh, I do like that Tyler is the one who says the Klingons aren't coming, which is yeah. g- ironic yeah. given the exactly. future of Tyler in this in this series. But uh, yes, the Klingons aren't coming. Uh, and it turns out they had rewired the communications in the captain's chair to send the coordinates of Discovery and Harry to Stella and her dad, who have been searching for him all this time. And so uh, when well, they get to the- I don't know that they say that, that they've been actively she- searching. She well, she says we've been looking for you ever since you went missing. I, I think she says as soon as she and her dad be aboard, and clearly Stella is taken with Harry. Dad is not. No, <laughs> but Dad is going to make an honest uh, man out of uh, out of him by making him honor his promise to marry his daughter. And so uh, they and he's as a weapons merchant, he's rich enough to pay off all of Harry's debts, which is the pretense of why Harry has needed to flee. It's like, oh, I've been. I had all these mistakes in my past. I'm trying to make them right. And Baron Grimes, uh, yep. Stella's father, is like, consider it a consolidation of your debts under one lender. <laughs> yes. You still owe. <laughs> you just owe me, uh, which is, yeah, which is good. So, uh, so in Harry Smooth talks his way, you know, with, uh, with uh, uh, Stella, and uh, they end up be- beaming away. And then, uh, yep. I-, I like how earlier. Stamets gave Michael some advice telling her the key to every successful relationship is never pretend to be someone you're not. And that's exactly what Harry is doing. And and he's with Stella and he's telling Stella, oh, I, you know, I wasn't the dashing guy you thought I was. I made all these mistakes in my past. And Stella is like, I knew all that. And I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't care. I love you anyway. So we have this weird kind of dark parody of Stamets's advice about always be yourself yeah. in a relationship. Right. Well, I love, right. And I love the, the, the pay that the uh, Baron has to give to Starfleet is basically keep them out of our sight. Keep them right. away from us. Forever. <laughs> he goes, I, I don't I don't want to. I don't like being in debt to your organization. I like yeah. the way he phrases that. You know, to your organization. What do I have to pay to get this to go away? Just don't let us ever see him again. He never t- contacts another Starfleet vessel ever again. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to uh, work out. Yeah, yeah it works out really yeah. well. <laughs> so uh, back at the turbo lift, uh, Burnham and Tyler are having a, uh, a discussion about Stamets telling them about their interactions during the time loops. And uh, Tyler notes he's, He's sad at having missed their first kiss, and that's where we end things uh, for this episode. Burnham is, is a little taken aback and embarrassed by by that admission. As one would be. Yes. I mean, it's actually, that's a little yeah. aggressive. It's like, okay, you know, in some time loop we kissed each other, and it's like, we missed our first kiss, implying there's going to be another one in this timeline. <laughs> yes, like, first implies uh, second. Time can be rewritten, dude. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> that'd be a great response. Yeah, you missed your first and only one. Have a good life. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In, in the next time loop, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and so that, that about wraps up. Before we get to listener feedback, do you guys have any further notes on this episode? One thing I, I, I noticed in this episode, I don't know if we'd seen it on TV or not, but uh, Lorca's uh, man cave has a, what looks like a Gorn skeleton oh, yeah. in a display. I don't know if oh, we yeah. seen that or not, but that was pretty oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we we saw that the uh, in the first appearance of the man cave, and I think we've even mentioned it before, but it's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. well, it's been a while since we talked about Discovery, so I couldn't remember. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
I I liked this as a time loop episode. Uh, time loop episodes can be played different ways. I, I think SG-1's time loop episode is really successful. A window mm-hmm. of opportunity. It's yeah. largely played for comedy. This one is largely played for drama, but with, with an admixture of comedy, like the murder montage of Captain <laughs> right. Lorca, you know. I thought it was fast-paced. One of the things you need to do in... Oh, also the Enterprise uh, Next Gen episode where you have the time loop caused by the Bozeman crash. That that one's played for Twilight Zone Mm -hmm. kind of creepiness. So you can have these different emphases in a time loop episode. You need to distinguish the loops from each other. They need to get shorter as we go. And I thought this did a good job of having that happen. One of the things you that's a problem is having the characters in, in a badly done time loop episode is having them not notice the time loop quickly enough. If they spend yeah. a lot of time wondering what's going on. But in this one, you know, Stamets comes up in the second loop and it's like, it all starts with a Gormagander, you know? <laughs> right. So I, I liked that. So I like the episode overall. Have a problem with the resolution because they establish by the final loop that Harry Mudd has control over the computer, but not over non-critical systems. Mm-hmm. Now, why that would be the case, oh, isn't the computer in charge of everything? <laughs> yeah. But I can go with that. You know, maybe there's some subroutine that makes it easier to access the non-critical things. But then they say the captain's chair is a non-critical system. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yes. That's that the the captain's chair is a non-critical system. Well, that's strange. communications from the captain's chair outward into space is non-critical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I it, 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 do you know the meaning of the word captain <laughs> or critical? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I had a problem with that. And they, especially if they, if they just blow by it in dialogue. I mean, if yeah. you want to carve out some special sense of the word critical that wouldn't apply to the captain's chair, fine. But you can't just blow past that. And then Stella and Dad are here awful fast. This right. is a big galaxy. and But in the minutes between yeah. when you sent the message and when they beamed on board, they're here that fast? In a civilian ship? I mean, okay, he's an arms merchant, so it's probably tricked out. But that's just very implausible that they would be able to get here that fast. Right. Just remember, warp drive operates at the speed of plot. Apparently (laughs) so. It's J.J. Abrams' drive, where the the galaxy is as small as you need it to be. Well, I'm going like, so does does the arms merchant ship have a spore drive, too? (laughs) Right. So uh yeah that so that's yeah, yeah apart from those logical quibbles the plot quibbles problems yeah as as entertainment it was fun but it had plot holes at the end yes it did all right we have some good listener feedback i'd like to uh, share yeah from episode 98 where we talked about Star Trek for the voyage home Kathy Say who uh commented on our website she said uh, i enjoyed this movie and the discussion but was hoping for some more info on whale language is it at all possible that whales have anything approaching what they would need to communicate with aliens or humans? 
hoping this topic will be featured on Mysterious World someday, or we could talk about it here. <laughs> uh, I do have an, an episode planned on animal language, and animal languages can be surprisingly complex. Whales, as one of the more intelligent animals, seem to have a fairly sophisticated language. It does not, from what we know, appear to have the infinite expressive power that human languages do, but it 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 does. I mean, it does. It it is significant in the compared to other animal languages and what it can communicate. Apparently, but we will talk about it in the future. Dolphins can sing uh, so long and thanks for all the fish. That's been established by Douglas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so and then. Uh, from our discussion of uh, episode 99 on the Next Generation's The Last Outpost, uh, Dennis Sell also had a comment on our website. He says, uh, thanks for this episode. I wanted to comment on the lighting and heating power. Remember, we were talking about how, uh, wh- how could it, you know, why it got so mm. cold and th- when the ship was losing power. Uh, and he, he, he talks about uh, current lighting circuits on ships, des- designated emergency systems. And um, he says, uh, not all. Lighting circuits are emergency, but in a loss of power, a pitch black room or passageway becomes dangerous and unusable, so there are battery-powered battle lanterns. As for heaters, uh, he says it's likely uses, the, the Enterprise likely uses electrical heaters powered by the EPS system, uh, and he talks about the power draw on that. He says they may get some heat from waste heat coming out of the warp core cooling system, but generally heating and cooling systems are not vital due to their massive electrical loads, so they would probably be emergency battery backups and their batteries in the future would be much better. Uh, he says, I could imagine the ship having several shelter areas with an emergency generator servicing them, likely near the middle of the ship, but otherwise, the scenario is more likely than season one would have led us to believe. Dennis uh, apparently has background in these areas that he was yeah. sharing his expertise <laughs> mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. So. It still would have been better for them to like retreat to the battle bridge, which is more central in the central mass of the ship than stay right. on the one that's Right up top for for no good reason. I mean, it's just you're asking for a phaser hit there or a photon torpedo hit. Yes. And Mm -hmm. you're also asking that that's where the heat will leave first to the to the outside. So that uh, we we do appreciate all the feedback. we Yeah. uh, Thank you. Love to get more. So we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek, including Matthew R., George A., Jesse J., Thomas M., and Sam W., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad? And maybe you can tell us why it's a reference from Homer's Iliad. <laughs> you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the original series episode, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. I think the time travel is the magic, and the time loops are what's maddening. And live long and prosper. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, there really are so many ways to blow up this ship. It's almost a design flaw. <laughs>